Welcome in to the first episode of the Down and Distance podcast. Brandon Ross with Tara Lynch. Tara, we got a ways to go to football season, but we're already starting to feel the itch. The draft just came and went, and I can't wait for the pads to go on again, you know? Oh, me too. And I know that the listeners at home can't see me right now, but as you can see, got all my helmets lined up behind me. So I am ready. I have that itch. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, so I am ready for the Bills Mafia to be back on it again. Um, I can't wait for the football season to start if we get there. Um, If not, we'll just have to maybe wait a little bit longer. But as you said, the draft, plenty to talk about right now. And I I think I'm going to have to call you out a bit because if I'm not mistaken, I see the Bills helmet, but I also see a Patriots helmet. Is that not counterintuitive? So it is counterintuitive, but I will say uh, I do have a bit of family history working in the NFL. Um, So my grandfather, uh, you can also see over here, we have a Browns helmet. So he worked for the Patriots, the Browns, and then the Buffalo Bills. Uh, My mom also worked for the Buffalo Bills. That's actually her helmet and uh, that she got from the equipment staff. So they were there when they went to the four straight Super Bowls. My grandfather still lives in the Buffalo area while I'm residing in Connecticut now with my parents. Um, We still have strong ties there. So we are Bills Mafia all the way. Although um, I can honestly say I've never jumped on a table before. That's personally not my scene, uh, but I'm all for, you know, the other crazy fandom that uh, Buffalo has to offer. Great fan base. Love you all. Go Bills Mafia. I mean, hey, by the end of this quarantine, you don't know what you'll end up doing once we're free and out into the world again. But you know, let, let's talk about the, the recent football news. The NFL draft just wrapped up. And I think it's interesting to say because there's a lot of things to take away from this draft in that there were surprises, but also it was a lot of standardness. And I think looking through the first round in particular, it was almost surprising as to the lack of surprise through the first few picks. I would say so. I mean, Joe Burrow going number one. Who could say they were surprised about that? Chase Young going number two. Again, who could say they were surprised about that? The one thing I will say, though, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson dropping to number eight. I was a little shocked that he fell through that top five. But I will say that the teams before that pick needed the offense, and that seemed to be what was being taken at that point. So I understand why he went number eight, but also, again, a little surprised. He's a power linebacker. You can't go wrong with somebody like him. A real stud out of Clemson. In my mind, if he was going to go anywhere before eight, it was going to be to the Giants, and it was either going to be him or an offensive lineman. They did go for an offensive tackle. We'll get to that in a minute. But there was the consensus for this whole thing that the draft starts at three. It was a guarantee that Burrow was going one, Young was going two. Three to six, it was interesting because... There was so much rumor about teams trading into the top six, into that three to six range, trying to get ahead of the Dolphins, the Chargers, or maybe one of those two teams trying to get ahead of the other. But it it did not come to fruition, and it kind of just went as expected if those teams stayed in place. Yeah, not a lot of surprises, as you just said, within, you know, that first, those first few picks. Nobody really trading around. There wasn't that excitement of, oh my gosh, you know, the Patriots just traded into the top five. Why would that happen, right? Or a surprising thing like that to happen. Um, so it was pretty standard, I will say. But, the, you know, the, the big takeaway that I had from this draft, the first virtual draft, it seemed to go off without a hitch. Um, we saw the WNBA draft just a couple of weeks ago. That went fairly smooth as well. 
So we're seeing that virtual nature of sports right now is working, which is great for our fans like you and me, because we're still getting, you know, our itch scratched if we're continuing that metaphor from the beginning of this podcast. But, you know, the other big thing for me, the first round, not surprising, 36 total wide receivers picked. Yeah, that's pretty surprising for the draft. Um, And that tied the most wide receivers taken in a draft um, since the draft was shortened to seven rounds in 94. So when you have that much talent on the outside and they're being taken so quickly, that's going to move people who should have been maybe in the first round down to that second round, the third round. And we're going to get into those steals a little bit later. And Definitely. And particularly, you mentioned the wide receivers. That'll play into a certain team that we think was a big loser of this draft. You got to stick around to see who that is. But let's start with number three uh, with the Lions because that was the first pick that was sort of up in the air. The first two were predetermined. You got Jeff Okuda, the cornerback out of Ohio State. No real qualms with that pick there. It seemed like a very safe pick, a very strong corner. The the clear consensus top cornerback in this draft, and it really does fill a need over there in Detroit. Ohio State, cornerback, defensive back, university, as they sometimes say. LSU, though, possibly coming for that title um, with my guy, uh, Tredavious White up in Buffalo. But um, it is a safe pick. You need somebody to, you know, when you're when you're going against, uh, you know, teams, you need people who can defend those wide receivers that we've been talking about who are being drafted right now um, and the ones who are already established in the league. So if you can get a young cornerback who can really – you know, get his footing in these first, you know, couple of games, you're going to have a great solid defense. And that really does help a Detroit team that has to put a lot of pieces back together. And one of those is that defense. And Okuda is definitely going to help in that regard. And moving on to the next pick at number four, the Giants need to fix everything. Like as a Giants fan, it pains me how atrocious they are in so many areas. But A part of me was very happy that after ignoring offensive line in the first round for, I think, going on seven years now, or at least close to it, I think Justin Pugh, exactly seven years, they needed another one in 2014, and then they didn't take another one until now, Um, and Justin Pugh, fittingly, Syracuse to the Bills, Uh, but uh, I think, oh no, he went to the Giants, what am I talking about? We're just mixing up our teams here, it's okay. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We've been gone from sports too long. I'm I'm going nuts. <laughs> but Andrew Thomas from Georgia, I mean, what a great pick for the Giants. You need to protect Daniel Jones. And, you know, I will say, Giants fans were a little surprised last year with the Daniel Jones pick so early in that draft. Um, he was one of, in my opinion, the surprises. So for them to kind of come out, get that protection for him, a young quarterback who is still trying to get his feet wet, um, that's critical. I think we can all agree. The Bills had offensive line problems for years. Uh, still not the best offensive line, but we have made progress there. Um, so I totally understand where you're coming from. And I think one thing particular with Andrew Thomas is that there were a lot of people, and I understand this concerns, who would have rather seen Jedrick Wills Jr. come off the board or maybe even Mekhi Becton come off the board. But the consensus seems to be and I'm very okay with this logic, which is that Andrew Thomas is the safest offensive lineman. He doesn't have the highest ceiling, but he, without question, has the highest floor. 
And if there's anything the Giants need right now, it's a safe bet on the offensive line. You can't afford to take a risk with something so important to rebuilding that offense. And if it means taking a guy maybe a couple slots higher than you could have gone, if the Giants were fielding calls with reports are indicating they weren't fielding a ton, much to the surprise of a lot of people, and I'm sure to you as well, um, taking him there was not a bad decision. And that will shore up that offensive line going forward. And then after Andrew Thomas, we get to the QB fun which is Miami and Los Angeles, Tua, and Herbert. That was a big moment. That was a big moment. We were all waiting to see, I think, what Miami did with those. They had three picks in that first round, so they had a ton of opportunity to really play with everyone because they could get three of the top players in one round. Um, And that was my big thing, too, is we were going through this top five and I, I forgot about Tua. I'm not going to lie to you. I was waiting, and then I was like, oh, he's going to Miami. That makes a ton of sense. You need somebody there who can compete, who can throw the ball down the field. And, you know, of course, we were all thinking, okay, Tua, Herbert, Tua, Herbert. And what do you know? The Los Angeles Chargers, the very next pick, take the QB out of Oregon. Um, so he gets to stay on the West Coast, closer to his family. It all kind of works out. <laughs> D- it definitely works out. Uh to the extent that both teams needed and uh, definitely to uh, making the most of his pick, probably the only, I think the only fully suited player I saw on that draft special show up and just flash off the attire from his home in Hawaii. Definitely looking a little fly there. Yeah. He looked good. He looked good. I mean, he was ready. Um, He was showing us that virtual draft or not, he was going to be dressed to the nines. Um, and I think, you know, you do want that to some extent in your quarterback. You want that level of professionalism that even though it was a virtual draft, he was coming in, he was ready to go. Looked like he could, you know, be in Las Vegas where the draft was supposed to be and he could have just walked right in and fit in. Um, so for, you know, for me as a Bills fan, I kind of equate that to Josh Allen. He always comes in with a certain level of professionalism. And I think Tua is going to bring that to Miami. And that can be really helpful when you're creating, you know, a positive culture. You're right. I could totally see Tua just hopping on that boat, cruising out to the middle of the fountain, getting onto the stage. I could picture it in my head right now. I'm sure you can too. Um, But I think the interesting thing with the Tua pick is the message that it sends, which is that Miami is not concerned about the injury problems. And one thing about Miami, which is very important in the rebuild that they're about to undertake. It's that they're willing to wait, and they're not concerned. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if Tua didn't play a single snap this coming season, if there is a season, if there is a season fingers thoroughly crossed. But there's no rush to play him. You get him healthy, you get him ready, teach him the system, you don't throw him out any earlier than you need to. You have a coach and an owner who are on the same page about giving the ample time to get things going. There's no added pressure. And that gives the leeway for growth without a forced win now mentality. Exactly. And you get that young quarterback that maybe you were looking for when you draft, when you, you know, got Josh Rosen. Um, And you also have the experience of, you know, having that experience, you know, so you're going to go in and maybe find that another young quarterback who can, 
maybe fill that role a little bit better. Um, and I think, as you said, it's rebuilding. So you start at that quarterback position, you get a leader, and you hopefully, you know, you don't have any injuries. Tua's had that battle a little bit at Alabama, but Miami's gambling on him. I can't believe I forgot about Josh Rosen. So they didn't actually draft him. They, they, uh, they traded a second-round pick for him. Um, my memory serves he was drafted by the Cardinals and then traded to Miami. Correct. You are right. Because they draft they drafted Rose in the first year, and then they're like, oh, we want Kyler Murray instead. Yeah, he's a pretty good replacement, I think. Yeah. It, it, it se- it's worked out for them. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to have worked out just fine. And then going down the rest of the draft, it kind of went how it went. Teams drafted for their needs. Not a lot of trades relative to other drafts, especially not high up. But there's definitely one trade that we cannot ignore. Green Bay, back into the first round for Jordan Love. Jordan Love? Yeah. I, so, this is kind of going into some of our surprises that we, you know, we were talking about this offline. When you have a quarterback named Aaron Rodgers, who is just as good as some of the other named quarterbacks in the league, you know, you, you think of Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and, and you have that man ask you for weapons, you don't come and bring in a quarterback. Um, that's, either that was a slap in the face, or I don't know, I, I don't know, but you don't bring in a quarterback um, for that. Now, I will say Aaron Rodgers is getting older, so I understand it's kind of like what he had to do. He sat behind Brett Favre. And then came in and was a star. So maybe Green Bay is looking to do that. That's the only justification that I can personally come up with. But with a, I mean, we talked about it at the top. 36 wide receivers picked in this draft. And you don't pick a wide receiver in the first round? I mean, how many stars were available? (laughs) How many people who dropped to the second round who could have been in the first round? Maybe a running back, a tight end, another offensive threat that could have helped Aaron Rodgers. And you go with a quarterback. That's a that's a bit surprising to me. And we'll get into our official losers uh, of this draft in a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be a surprise to you or anyone who that is at the top of the list. But yeah, like I understand the logic of taking the Rodgers Favre approach, having him sit for three years, maybe four. But the problem is Aaron Rodgers thinks he can play six or seven more years. And Tom Brady's continuing to defy our concept of age in the NFL when it comes to quarterbacks, which goes to show that he could. And the Packers could have just traded back into the first round for a quarterback that might never start for them, and they might have made their potential future Hall of Fame starter very unhappy in the process. And I don't know that he was arguably the best quarterback available. I mean, there were, I mean, Jalen Hurts went in the second round to Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, who made the college football playoff with Oklahoma, who led Alabama to 
championship games, who had to take over for Tua when Tua got hurt in the championship game. So when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts still on the board, I mean, we're going to get into some of those later, but he went to Philadelphia, another team that has a starting quarterback who is pretty, pretty much their guy in Carson Wentz. If you're Green Bay and he's still there, I don't know how you pass over a guy like Jalen Hurts or some of the other quarterbacks who were on the table to take love. That's kind of my mentality. Another surprise at the quarterback position is Jake Fromm from Georgia dropping all the way down. I think he got taken in the fifth round by the Bills. The fifth round from Georgia. He had been in the Sugar Bowl this year against Baylor. One, by the way. Seated fifth in college football, Georgia Bulldogs. He had taken on, was it Alabama the year before in the championship game? And he drops to the fifth round, and then you take a guy from Utah State? I'm just confused. Now, maybe they see potential in him that I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at the, the rankings, and, you know, you shouldn't pick something just based on who's number one, but it's a little confusing to me. I'm not going to lie to you. A little confusing. Now, there... Yeah, there was a contingency of people that were very high on Jordan Love. No one was 26th overall high trade back into the first round on Jordan Love. That is where that is where I was officially lost. That's where I feel like Green Bay just kind of lost it with this. That's probably the biggest surprise of the draft. Uh but a couple of other surprises that I noticed. One, I guess it's not really a surprise because the Raiders continue to be the Raiders and go well off the reservation in terms of what people consider to be the proper range to pick someone. But with no wide receivers taken yet, they make the first receiver off the board, Henry Rucks. With Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, both still available. And that was a shock. Jerry Judy falling falling all the way down to Denver at 15, and then CeeDee Lamb a couple picks after at 17 going to Dallas. CeeDee Lamb, I think, was a steal for Dallas. Absolutely. That was a total steal at 17. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, no kidding there. And then not only that, not only do they take rugs over those two, but they take Damon Arnett, another cornerback out of Ohio State, who many people didn't think would be a day one pick, some not even a day two pick, but they take him 19th overall. And I'm just lost. Like, I get it. They love speed. But Damon Arnett isn't even that fast, so I'm so confused. (laughs) (laughs) A little confusing there um, when you look at some of the other defensive backs who were still on the board at that point. Um, But maybe the Raiders were just trying to make a statement. I don't know. Their first year in Las Vegas, maybe they were trying to just make a statement, make everyone uh, look twice. I don't know. Al Davis is gone. May he rest in peace. But his uh, his philosophies still live on for sure. And then my last surprise is someone else who slid way further 
probably the biggest slide in my mind of someone from projection going into the start of the draft versus where he ended up getting taken. Josh Jones, offensive tackle out of Houston, all the way to the third round. Josh Jones, according to NFL.com, was rated higher than a couple other O-linemen who were taken in the first round and even a couple taken in the second round. He was a top-tier guy. I don't know what must have come out before the draft. Something had to get leaked to teams or something had to get, get gotten figured out for him to slide that far back. But he made it all the way to the third round. That's nuts in my mind. I was watching day two wondering, when is this journey going to end? Josh should have been picked yesterday and he's, we're at the end of round two and he's still on the, on the board. I totally agree with you there. And, you know, when I was reading up on just after the draft was over and what actually had transpired to wrap my head around everything, um, on ESPN, they were talking about how the Cardinals probably saw Isaiah Simmons as a surprise at eight. So when he fell to eight and they had that pick, they snatched him right up. So then, you know, a guy like Josh Jones, who was probably on their radar in that first round, to go maybe eight, then he falls behind a guy like Isaiah Simmons. So I don't exactly know how he fell to the third round, how somebody else didn't snatch him up, but Arizona, I think, got really lucky because they got two guys who were on their radar, kind of stumbled into Isaiah Simmons and then got lucky that Josh Jones was was still available to uh, to help protect Kyler Murray, as we mentioned before. Yeah, no kidding. So what were some of your favorite surprises from this draft? Well, we uh, we talked about a couple of them. Of course, Green Bay, Philadelphia, I think taking Jalen Hurts was a bit surprising, but you have two very solid quarterbacks. You have a guy like Carson Wentz who, if he can stay healthy, that's been an issue for him. So you have a guy like Jalen Hurts backing him up, then you have two solid quarterbacks there um and, you know as we know Philadelphia beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl not with Carson Wentz so <laughs> he's injured sometimes and often so you need to have somebody there to back him up I think going back to the Bills who didn't have a first round pick they started with the 22nd pick in the second round and they got AJ Epinesa who dropped significantly now he didn't have the best uh, speed at the combine and he did have some inconsistencies but he was talked about as a possible late round pick at that defensive end position uh, and he he dropped so the Bills I think got lucky in that they had their guy who has that mentality of coming in working hard maybe not going to be the guy with double digit sack numbers but going to be a guy who's going to put that pressure on whatever opposing quarterback the Bills are facing and I think that was a huge steal, um, especially when you traded away your first-round pick to get to Stephon Diggs from the Vikings. So to me, that was a big win for the Bills, but a bit of a surprise in general. I will say DeAndre Swift, power running back out of Georgia, dropping into that second round was a bit surprising for me. Um, when you look at the running backs who went before him, which really wasn't that many, um, it was surprising that LSU's Edwards Elliere went before DeAndre Swift. 
But again, Detroit taking DeAndre Swift, another big addition, I think, for that team who is looking to kind of power forward. And then, again, as we mentioned earlier, Jake Fromm dropping to that fifth round. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned that he was there. I think the Bills were stunned that he was there. And they're trying to, I guess, keep that young mentality in the quarterback room. You do have Matt Barkley, who is on the older side, um, the veteran. You have Josh Allen, who's going into his third season. And now you have a young guy, Jake Fromm, in there as well. So I think that there were just a lot of general surprises because of how good this draft was, particularly with wide receivers, that you saw other positions that tend to go higher, defensive ends, running backs, drop down. I think that was the general gist of what happened this year. You can never have too much insurance at the quarterback position. That is a guarantee. And the Bills definitely picked up some wins in the draft But in my mind, we already talked about it. I think my big winner has to be the Cardinals. They were not expecting Simmons to be there at 8, but they got him at 8. They didn't have a second-round pick. But that's okay, because in the third round, they got a guy who should have gone in the first. And then in the grand scheme of their drafts, the positions they needed, they needed a linebacker, they needed D-line, O-line, running back. They also needed a corner. They didn't address that. But all the other four, they got quality players to fill all of those spots. And particularly in the seventh round, Eno Benjamin still being available, being able to keep him at home, the Arizona State product, keeping him in the desert state, he he could be valuable depth behind Kenyon Drake over there in Arizona. And that that is, in my mind, the big winner. Two big steals and getting what you needed to get out of the draft. For me, my winner doesn't go to Baltimore, who did have a great draft, but they were great already. We knew that. We knew Baltimore had strength. The team that we did not know had strength were the Indianapolis Colts. Now, last year, they had a really... They had just a lot of bad luck. No pun intended there, but Andrew Luck retired. Okay, you lose that guy. You have to have... Jacoby Brissett take over as your quarterback. Not a great season, not a terrible season, just overall. But you don't have a first-round pick. So you're going in, Colts fans were probably very nervous without that first-round pick. But they win because they had a very strong draft. They had two picks in that second round. They got a wide receiver from USC, Michael Pittman Jr., who people have compared, people have compared him to Juju Smith-Schuster, So, who knows? I mean, if you have a guy who's being compared to one of the better wide receivers in the league right now, that's a pretty good sign. Then you take a running back, Jonathan Taylor, one of the smartest guys. I found him to be incredibly interesting in the draft from Wisconsin, and he just loves learning. And I think that's great in a running back position because you want to know how the defense is thinking. You want to know, you want to have a guy who has that ability to just think beyond every other player on the field. So you get Jonathan Taylor, the 41st pick in that second round, another great steal. You have, after that, let's count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other picks in the draft. They, they had a pretty good draft. And, oh, by the way, Phillip Rivers is now their starting quarterback. So the Colts are looking good. Maybe not great, but they're looking better. 
they're not looking too bad. And hey, look, the the analytics people are saying don't draft running backs too high, but clearly the NFL isn't listening and the Colts aren't listening, and they got one of the best college running backs in history to join their squad. And now, I don't think we've hated on the Packers in a few minutes, so let's get back to that. They are the biggest losers in this draft. It's not even close. First, they trade up for Jordan Love. And then, in a draft, where in the seven-round draft era, there have never been more wide receivers taken. The position they need to address the most. They don't take a single one. They take a tight end out of Miami in the fourth round. But that's it. That is the only weapon that Aaron Rodgers gets to add to his arsenal. Yeah, not the best if you're if you're Aaron Rodgers and looking at this. And generally, I am not a Packers hater. If I had to pick a favorite team in the NFC, it would be the Green Bay Packers. Um, my grandmother's from Wisconsin. She was born there. So I typically align with the Cheeseheads. But I can't align with them right now. Um, I don't agree with that Jordan Love trade-up. They did add a, a running back in A.J. Dillon from Boston College in the second round, so you could argue that is another weapon, possibly. But no wide receivers, none to be seen. And that's concerning when you had such talent. I mean, we knew going into this draft well before in the college football season, we knew that we were going to have a ton of talent. A ton of talent in the wide receiver position. And especially when you have a guy who is named Aaron Rodgers and he kind of asks you for that and you don't provide that, that's a bit concerning to me. Also, you just made the NFC Championship game, so it's not like you are a terrible team. You're a good team. So fill those positions so that next year you can make the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, definitely. And look, I forgot about A.J. Dillon, and I will give him credit. Being someone from Syracuse, he did single-handedly basically get the Syracuse defensive coordinator fired this year. So he's got that going for him. He, he is a real threat on the ground. The problem is when you have Aaron Rodgers, I don't know how many times you're going to hand the ball off. Um, but that aside, we've talked about some other players who were great value picks in this draft. I want to start with you before we wrap up your biggest steal of the 2020 draft. That's really tough. You know, there were a lot of steals, but I will say the Dallas Cowboys getting CD lamb at 17. That was a pretty big one. I will say basically anyone who drafted on par in that second round got a steal because most of those players were rated to go in that first round because this draft was just that good. Um, So if I'm going to pick one person, I guess I pick CeeDee Lamb and Dallas, but I will say I think Jalen Hurts was a big steal. I think Philadelphia was licking their chops when they saw him in that second round. And I will say that DeAndre Swift in that second round. Another big steal. Probably should have gone in the first. Yeah, well, again, the running back analytics people are not really... They're not loving your logic right here, Tara, but you know what? We're going to... we're gonna keep, You keep you being you, I'll keep being me. And I'm going to slide further back with my steal of the draft before we officially say goodbye. 
go all the way to the sixth round. And I hate to compliment the Jets on anything. They don't deserve to get complimented on anything. But they got a true steal in Bryce Hall. Because if he didn't get hurt, he was a first rounder. If you looked at any mock drafts of 2020 from the last couple of years, he was at the top, or at least near the top, of the cornerbacks on every mock draft that existed. He is a true athlete who can get to the ball, who can break those passes up, who can make the tough tackles. And he did it while playing at a very mixed bag UVA team for his entire career. And he really got the rough end of the stick when he got hurt this year. It's a tough injury to swallow. And it definitely damaged his stock. There's no question about it. But as long as he returns to full form, he's going to play like way better than a sixth round pick. I totally agree with you on that, especially coming out of Virginia. That's it's not the football capital of the universities. <laughs> but when you have a guy like that, um, and, and injury's a killer, um, it didn't hurt everyone. As we saw, Tua still went number five. He got injured. But that slid Bryce Hall down. And I agree with you. The Jets got to steal. I'm not looking forward to going against him twice a year. That's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. I, I think the... Uh... I think the most interesting part of it is like, yeah, Virginia's not a powerhouse, but he does also have to play in the ACC, albeit the weaker division of the ACC, but it's still the ACC. So it's not like he's playing against nobody. And it'll be interesting to see how he pans out in year one in the NFL. And with that, we'll wrap up this first podcast of Down and Distance. For Tara Lynch, I'm Brandon Ross. We'll see you next week.